This episode is made possible by Rhino Skin Solutions, makers of the best options for skincare in all of outdoor sports. As climbers, keeping our skin healthy, strong, and dry, but not too dry, is a major part of climbing at our peak when we tie into the base of a project and need to perform. Products like Dry, Performance, and Recover are precisely formulated to help you dial in exactly the conditions you need for whatever your goals are. However, the need for proper skincare goes way beyond red point attempts, and latching holds when you're going for the send is only part of the equation. You need to be attentive to your skin throughout the entire season, from training to rehearsal to red points. And just as you would pay very close attention to your tendons, muscles, and connective tissue, so too should you maximize your skin health throughout the entire year in order to train and climb your absolute hardest. Beyond making the most comprehensive, non-greasy, and effective range of products in this space, Rhino Skin Solutions is founded and helmed by Smith Rock local Justin Brown. Justin is a devoted climber who sits on the board of the Smith Rock Group and has dedicated loads of time, energy, and resources to making climbing safe, accessible, and fun for our entire community. Here at All Things Climbing, we're donating 100% of our proceeds after our production costs to the American Safe Climbing Association and the Access Fund. Justin and Rhino Skin Solutions are what make this possible. Rhino is a community-driven company founded by climbers, making the best products possible and helping to support safety and access in the process. To me, this represents climbing's community at its best, so go to rhinoskinsolutions.com, set yourself up with everything you need to climb hard and pain-free. If climbing and training your hardest isn't motivation enough, you'll also be supporting the hard work of one of our own, and if you use promo code BLISTER when you check out, you'll not only get 10% off your order, but Rhino Skin Solutions will also kick 10% over to the access fund every time you use the code. So go show them some love and start getting more out of your days on the rock. So you were just climbing Clear Creek the other day. Yeah, yesterday. With Katie. Yeah. You were working on your project, right? Yes. How'd that go? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I blame the baby. Always blame the yeah, baby. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I feel like I have at least years until he can verbally deny. <laughs> I'm Luke Alley. I'm Dave Alley. And this is All Things Climbing. Where did the idea for this episode come from? Uh, well, the idea the idea for the episode came from an interest that I have in the way that we as a climbing community manage ourselves and our resources and interact with each other and these like larger quote unquote conversations that we, we either have or, or don't have as a community, mm -hmm. particularly as we're in a time where the sport is changing so fast and climbing has really gone from, from fringe to like quasi mainstream sport yeah. in not very much time. And so... A lot of issues that were not really urgent to deal with for many, many decades now have to be actively managed. Mm -hmm. An increasing number of land managers, both now and then in the in the near term future, are turning towards, oh, there's a lot of traffic here. How do we deal with that? Um, and that might mean like going from backcountry, dispersed camping, lawlessness, do whatever you want, to okay, we need like a campground with a pit toilet and wag bags and stuff like that. Because once there's some critical mass of people, the the acute impact is just so high that, um, you know, land managers or whomever suddenly feels like they want to step in. Yeah. So this episode is kind of about your local crag undergoing those growing pains. Exactly. So right right where we live in, in Colorado, one of the front range climbing centers, Jefferson County, decided that they were going to take a more active stance and they established a fixed hardware committee and a review process for adding bolts and, and all that kind of stuff. And they've also done a lot of um, trail work to the crags and, and that kind of thing. And so it used to be, if you want to put in a route, you go out with your drill and, and your bolts and you go and, and you put it in. Now that now there are enough people that the county feels like they need to step in and, and have final say over whether certain routes or crags go in. And so when the county first enacted these rules, and this was all first being talked about, they established a, a role within the county to execute these policies, but then they also created a fixed hardware review committee, which is something that's been done elsewhere in a handful of places around the country before, where um, mem members of the climbing, the local climbing community volunteer to make recommendations to the county they're the ones who review the applications initially and say this should be approved this shouldn't be approved and then the county ultimately gives this final yes or no right 
Right. So in order to get a complete picture, you conducted two interviews for this episode. Uh, the first is with Eric Kraus, who works for Jefferson County overseeing outdoor recreation in Clear Creek. And he gives us some insight into some reasons why the county decided to start actively managing climbing, uh, as well as some of the decisions and what that would look like and how it's been received by the climbing community. And the second interview is with Dave Montgomery of the Fixed Hardware Review Committee. And he gives us more of a climber's perspective on the county's management and how that bureaucracy meets subjective things like route quality, climbing ethics, and so on. Uh, so up first in our deep dive into local land management is Eric Kraus over at the Jefferson County offices. We'll start with just just an introduction of who you are and what you do for the county. Great. So my name is Eric Kraus. I'm currently the Visitor Relations Coordinator and a park ranger with Jeff Open Space. Um, what that means is that I, I manage a lot of various forms of recreation. So, you know, depending on if it's mountain bikers, hikers, trail runners, um, rock climbing in this case, you know, kayakers, paragliders. We've got people wanting to base jump in parts of our property. Um, I work with all of these communities and try to make sure that what they want to do is in line with our mission and vision at Jeffco Open Space. So that's a that's a great entry point to my next question for you, which is, um, would you mind fleshing out the goals of the county? Like, what are, what are the major concerns that you guys are looking at that you're trying to consider when you're talking to these user groups? Absolutely. So, you know, our, our mission can kind of be broken down into three points of preserve, protect, provide. Um, so we want to preserve uh, natural areas and, uh, you know, protect natural resources as well as visitor safety. Um, and then we want to provide healthy nature-based activities. So rock climbing obviously falls into that category. So that's kind of like the simplest breakdown of everything. Um, in a more detailed breakdown, we'd be looking at, again, kind of how do we mitigate all of this rapid growth of visitation and popularity in outdoor activities and just a love for, for nature um, with our side of conservation, you know, and protecting the resources. You know, we've got a ton of sensitive species in the area. Um, we've got a lot of sensitive vegetation in the area. We're trying to mitigate invasive species and noxious weeds and all these different things. And, um, when you mix people with that, you know, you got to kind of find the middle ground there. What exactly are you, are you trying to prevent and, and what do you guys, like, what are the tools in your toolkit to do that? Absolutely. So, Things that we're trying to mitigate a little bit are, are sediment loss, um, safety issues. So for one, when we had all of these new crags going in and our staff didn't know about them, you know, the fire departments didn't know about them. And all of a sudden we get a call and somebody's like, I'm climbing Clear Creek Canyon, you know, at this crag that we don't even know of. It, it makes it kind of a burden on us because nobody ever knows the mile marker they're near or a good way to describe it. So it would take a while for us to figure out exactly where they were to go help somebody and actually get them out of a bad situation. Um, you know, otherwise, again, we're looking at things like undesignated trails and kind of that spider webbing of, of social trails or undesignated trails, as we call them. You know, one of the more impactful full images that we have of why we took a proactive management stance on rock climbing in Jefferson County is a series of photos that we've taken over the course of about 15 years um, where, where it was the same photo from the same point of the same spot. Uh, what we found is that over the span of, for Canal Zone in particular, it was about 10 years actually, it went from, you know, looking at this one point and that was like at soil level. And then after about eight years, we had about four feet of sediment loss in that one area. And that's just from compaction, from uh, loss of vegetation, things like that. Like everything that holds that in and together was removed. So now we're losing all of that sediment from the area. So um, literally, you know, in that one spot, we had four feet of loss. And, you know, I'd say that average of what we were seeing at anywhere that was popular, um, we were looking at between two to four feet of sediment loss in the span of 10 to 15 years. So that was one of the more impactful things that we really, really saw as to why we were going to start managing this proactively. Who else did you come away from examining their policy and say, that's something that we should do because it's applicable to us? Or conversely, we really don't think that that is effective and we want to make sure that we, we don't do that. You know, can you be, I guess, specific about other places that you, you thought were instructive? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so more impactful ones were places like Castle Rock State Park in Idaho. And I had a really good conversation with uh, the land manager, the park manager up there. And 
they you know, took a stance of they really wanted to know what was going on, where things were going in, and who was doing it. Um, you know, but they didn't want to be overbearing because they realized that that's a, a really valid use of the land. Um, and there's a lot of rock up there. So that was one of the more positive ones that we saw that it kind of impacted what we were doing. Um, otherwise, I'd say the New River Gorge in West Virginia is managed by the National Park Service, and they do a really good job as well. And that's another one that we, we took a little bit away from and brought here. So what are the things that you thought they did really well that you wanted to, to draw on? You know, from our perspective, it would be that they made a conscientious effort to know what was going in. Um, they regulated the type of hardware that is allowed to go in. So it's no more of these, you know, 10 kilonewton bolts. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, they, a few other places were actually saying exactly the type of hardware that was allowed. And we looked at that and we worked with members of the uh, Fixed Hardware Review Committee who are engineers. And we we came down to that we don't actually need to be that specific. We're more concerned about the, the strength and the longevity. So we ended up coming down to stainless steel and it has to be uh, rated to, I think, 20 kilonewtons on tension and 25 on shear load. Um, okay. you know, so that was something really good that came out of those, though, as well as being proactive on uh, managing the base of crags. So, again, you know, it's we're trying to, to not have, like, human waste all over the place and trash all over the place and, you know, all of this erosion happening. So a lot of places put in buck and rail or some kind of fencing to kind of manage that base area and keep people from spreading out and really kind of consolidate the impact to certain areas. So um, I guess who – how do you – or whomever else you work with in the county interface with, um, you know, the the climbers who are going to go out and do this stuff. I, didn't, I know there's like like a fixed hardware review committee, like you just mentioned. Would you, do you mind just explaining how, how that all operates? Absolutely. So um, the origin of the fixed hardware review committee kind of came from us being very realistic at, at Jeffco Open Space that we are not experts when it comes to this. You know, like I've rock climbed for many years. That's very different from route setting. Um, you know, and installing hardware. And, you know, a few of us have kind of done this a little bit, but we're not experts in it by any means. And we don't feel like we can speak for the community either as far as, you know, what the local ethics are and things like that, because that's much more community involved than regulatory. So we figured that we really needed representatives of the community to kind of advise us. So that's where we came up with the Fixed Hardware Review Committee, which is composed of uh, seven to eight members. So right now we have eight on there. Um, and they meet at least three times a year. Usually it's one or two times more than that. And basically we'll get route applications in or new area applications in. And then they give the initial review, say, yes, from a, a standpoint of the community, this makes sense. You know, and, you know, this isn't going to grid bolt a, a wall. You know, there's not an opportunity for natural protection in here all of that stuff. And they can kind of be that first line of, you know, yay or nay from the community's perspective. Then they kick it over to us. We have an internal committee that reviews everything and then we give the final yes or no. Gotcha. Okay. That makes total sense. And so they, they essentially, their role is to, is to speak for the, the climbing community. Yeah. And just advise us. And, you know, we've got a really, really solid working relationship with them. So if I have just you know, questions of things that I'm not an expert in, I can kick them over to them and they're always happy to give me feedback and, and it's very helpful. So why is it important to have the public sector involvement in this? Uh, you know, you've got a fixed hardware review committee that's composed of members of the community. Um, why why not just stop there, right? Why, why is this something that can't be managed by either the community as has been done in the past or by maybe like a local advocacy group like, um, you know, like a local climbing coalition or something, um, or even maybe with the assistance of like a national organization like the Access Fund? Why, why is it important to have the county involved? You know, ultimately, um, the county is responsible for the management of the public land. Okay, so, so we kind of look at all of these different pieces that fall into what public land management is. You know, again, we we're looking at things like natural resources and raptor habitat, which um, a lot of that information is generally not open to the public because it's a sensitive species and there are laws on whether or not you can take them. Um, you know, so we need to be able to look at these things and say, okay, is this route going straight up to a golden eagle's nest? 
you know, it's something that we're acutely aware of, but the general community might not be. Um, you know, and, and again, to answer your question more directly, I'd say that we are tasked with managing the land in a responsible manner in, in the way that the public has uh, sought to, to have the land managed overall. In, in doing some research about you know how this is how this is all operating and just in preparation for this interview, I came to understand that there's a like a, a rubric of qualifications that new routes or new crag permits are assessed by. Um, is that at the is that implemented at the fixed hardware review committee level, or is that maybe more what takes place in the county internal review process? So this is well. Let me go back. It depends on what you're looking at. So for new routes that are on existing named crags, and we have a list of everything that we consider an existing crag, um, that stuff does not really need to go through this process. So so I, I know what you're talking about, and it's a list of seven criteria that we break things down into of what would be the most impact. Um, so, yeah, so it goes into environmental considerations. Are there bathrooms in the area? Is parking adequate? Are there going to be neighborhood concerns? Um, is it necessary at all? And then a handful more criteria that we go into. Um, but those are the big ones. And for new proposed areas, we do put it through that. And, and it is pretty stringent. And it's because we want to make sure that if we're going to be opening something that you know could become really popular, that we can get in there and make sure, like, okay, you know, we're either going to have wag bags provided or a bathroom facility in the area. We're going to have good enough parking. Um, you know, it's not going to have an adverse impact on, on our natural resources. And just making sure that all of those items are mitigated ahead of time and just identifying what those are. So I've heard a criticism of that, um, that set of guidelines that asserts that it's too stringent such that it's going to stifle uh, new route, or is it just new crag maybe development in the future in the county? What would you say to that? You know, I would say that the one it, it is uh, very comprehensive, and we do look at all these things. However, um, when it comes to any use of open space, again, it's our job to make sure that it is falling in line with what we are founded for, what our mission is, and what our vision is. Um, we don't allow people to go in and build a rogue trail. You know, that's never been allowed. Um, you know, people can't go in and install anything else on open space land. And for, <clears throat> for many years, you know, this was the only permanent alteration of a natural resource that was ever um, allowed to happen. And, you know, that over time just became, like we talked about before, a much bigger issue. So... I would say that it, it is stringent, um, and really it probably should be just looking at what the history of a lot of these areas are and kind of how these areas have developed into something much bigger than I would imagine where it wasn't originally anticipated. You were mentioning a second ago, and I want to make sure I get this right, that if, if, this, if a crag is considered already established and I want to go put in a new route at that crag, I can just go and do it, right? No. So, oh, okay. I thought... I guess my confusion is, what is the how are the rules different from routes and crags? Totally. So everything has to be applied for currently. Um, so you go to climbjeffco.com, and there is a tab there that says apply for fixed hardware, and it's going to take you over to an application. You're going to fill that out. It's going to get kicked over to us. We're going to kick it over to the FHRC. Um, if it's for a new crag, we're going to get way in from the FHRC and say, you know, do you think this merits moving forward? Um, if they think that it does, then we're going to evaluate it based on that criteria list that we just went over. And, Understood. And it is a, a longer process. Um, and again, it is you know comprehensive. And, and if you're going to apply for a new crag, it should be something that's worthwhile. Um, for a new route, it's going to be the same application. And then we're going to evaluate it, the merit of the route, not a new area. So we don't put it through all of those different criteria that we're looking at because it's already an impacted area. And uh, basically, that's going to be a quicker way of us just saying yes or no, based on what the FHRC says and then what our internal committee says. Okay, that makes that makes more sense. So generally, all that stuff is just going to be submitted online if people want to come and replace this stuff, or I'm sorry, install new routes or, or crags. Yeah, so all of that's submitted online. Um, and what we are working on right now, and we've been working on for quite a while now, and hopefully we're going to roll out within the next few months, is what we're calling programmatic approval. 
um, and this is another one of those positive things that came out of Castle Rock State Park in Idaho, is that basically for these areas that we already know and we're already okay with additional hardware being installed on because the impact is already there, um, people can come to us and go through a little bit of a lecture with us and um, just spend some time kind of going over what our expectations are of them. And then they're going to get certified or, or licensed for a year um, to be able to go out on their own to these specific crags, put up hardware, and then just let us know what went in. So it's it's a way of trying to make it less restrictive for these guys who you know have built trust with us, have agreed to kind of comply by our hardware standards. Um, you know, make sure again they're not grid bolting and things like that. And you know that generally they have the experience to warrant being able to just go out and do it. So. And so just so I'm understanding that correctly, that's that's for folks who who are interested in just putting in their own routes? Exactly, yeah. So it's for any route developer um, that you know has the equipment already and wants to go in and install some new routes. It's kind of a way of not having to wait that three to four months of applying, going through the process, and then us getting back to them if they've already shown that they're you know capable and trustworthy of, of making good decisions. I guess with the hardware, do you, do you guys have any oversight into who is actually putting the hardware in and who is maintaining it? Um, other than, I mean, in the case where you have people that are known quantities, like you were just describing, I think that that's maybe a little easier to um, to to have a handle on. But let's say I, as a unknown route developer, were to submit a route, is there a process to confirm that I know what I'm doing or that I have somebody else even with me to help me install it? I guess, is there an oversight to that? So in the application, we ask for um, previously bolted routes. So we ask for a little bit of what is your experience having bolted routes. And the people that we know who have already applied, they don't need to fill that out because we already know them. Uh, but for anybody new, they need to show anything that they've already developed, what their experience is. And if they don't have any experience, then one thing that we're probably just going to say to them is, you know, we need you to have a mentor when you do this and someone that can kind of show you how to do this properly um, or demonstrate that you can do it adequately because we don't want people going in there and you know misdrilling and then we have a bunch of holes that, with patches in the walls um, or even worse, an unsafe bolt. Right. Um, you know, so, so we're not certifying people to be bolters, but we do look for previous experience. And you know, if they say a handful of routes down in Texas, for instance, because we've had that, you know, we'll look into what those routes are. We'll look at Mountain Project and see what it, you know people have to say about it. And you know, hopefully throughout our whole network of people, we can get somebody that's climbed it and actually, right. um, you know, get some feedback on it. But if they don't show any experience, then we're gonna ask them to you know get a mentor. And we know a lot of people, so we're we might try to set them up if somebody's willing. Um, so what are um, I, th that makes sense as far as installing new routes and hardware? Or what are the rules that govern replacing old hardware? Yeah, so that was one point um, that we definitely went back on when we made the original guidelines because we originally said that for any new replacement or any bolt replacement, you would have to go through an application process and permit it. And again, it was something that like you know, internally on paper, it's like, yeah, this makes sense. And then when we talk to yeah. people about it, it's like, that doesn't make sense at all. Cause yeah. these guys, you know, have the, they have the equipment on them to do it on the spot. And if it's a safety issue, we definitely don't want to, you know, slow that down. Right. Um, so what we ended up doing is that if you have the equipment on you and you have the know-how, go ahead and replace it and let me know within three days is what we're asking. We always ask for before and after photos. So people just email me with that and I'm keeping track of everything that gets replaced over here. Do you guys make suggestions on what you think should be replaced or do you keep a running tally of, you know, what areas that could really benefit from, from new hardware, new anchors, that kind of thing? Or, or is that, do you depend on the information flowing from the community to you and not the other way around? So that's generally the community flowing to us. Unfortunately, we have so many bolts, so many routes and very limited staff with a lot of other things that we need to be doing. So we just don't have the manpower to get out and, and monitor this. Um, we also make it very clear that we we don't install, monitor, or replace any hardware. Um, so we're not guaranteeing any hardware for for anything at all. Um, but generally, I've got a ton of people that email me regularly about things that need to be replaced, and then I try to kick that over to somebody who really knows how to replace them. Do you do you feel as though a lot of the criticism or feedback that you got from the climbing community was able to be absorbed and integrated into the way that things are currently operating or there are, 
Are there, um, I guess, hotspots or points of contention that, that remain between the way that the county is operating and then the way the community would like to see things done? Like, do you consistently get pushback still in certain directions? Um, not that I hear. Okay. You know, I'd say that I guarantee you that there is animosity here and that there are some people who are really unhappy because there was this freedom of exploration for a very long time and then we kind of took that away. And, you know, it's the, the government coming in and saying what you can and can't do. Um, you know, so there are a handful of people that I'm sure are not happy about it. Overall, though, the more I talk to people, and I spend a lot of time at our climbing areas just saying hi and talking to people, they, they generally say, like, yeah, you know, this armoring that you guys did is really good, you know, and this management of, um, you know, whatever it might be is, is pretty good. So I, I hear a lot of positive feedback, and obviously that's probably somewhat confirmation bias, but sure. um, you know, I'm always looking for the negatives as well and how we can improve because this is, like I said before, we're not completely rigid on this. And um, you know, we implemented this first at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, and then in 2017 we reevaluated and we had another public meeting and we said, how are things going? And we want honest feedback because if this isn't working, then we're not going to get compliance with it. And right. you know, we're going to end up trying to fight something. And that's going to take a lot more work than it is to work together to accomplish something. Yeah. So that's really kind of what we're trying to do um, is just work together. So overall, I'd say that um, we did work a lot with the climbing community. And almost every bullet point in our climbing management guidelines was revised based on feedback from them. Um, and we got a whole lot of really good feedback. And I think that, you know, from my perspective and what I hear, it is working pretty well. Um, again, I'm sure that there are people that tell you otherwise. But I'd like to hear from them and see, you know, is it just that it's overbearing and that we only review these three times a year? You know, will programmatic approval process help this? And, you know, things like that. Of How can we improve this to make it work for everybody? I'm curious if you think that we are more generally as climbers headed in this direction of, um, you know, more proactive management of the crags, or if as, you know, somebody who does land management yourself, if, you know, if, if in the process of your talking to some of these other places, like, do you know for a fact that this is becoming more of a thing or not, I guess? I think that nationally um, moving forward, we're going to be seeing a lot more proactive management. Um, it's simply a matter of volume, you know, so as an example in, in this County alone on Jefferson County open space managed properties in 2011, our estimated visitation was about 3.2 million, uh, this year in, well, in 2017, so last year, uh, we were looking at just under 7 million. Wow. So when you look at the increase and, and we're one example of everywhere in the country, you know, everyone is wanting to be outdoors, which we absolutely love. However, you know, loving it to death is not the best thing. So that's where land managers come into play to try to make sure that things are working. Now, my, my hope for that is that land managers don't look at this, um, you know, this activity of climbing that was once more of a fringe activity and it's getting a lot bigger and just say, we don't know what to do. We don't want to take the risk. Uh, we're just going to shut it down. And that's my fear, um, which is where advocacy organizations and, and working together really comes into play. Um, because I don't think that proactive management is going to be going anywhere nationwide. Yeah. Um, I last last real question on this is: um, What do you for your average Jefferson County climber? What's something that they can either know or do to make sure that we don't end up in that place where we're closing crags or we're being overly constrictive on things like development? I would say follow park regulations. And know them. Um, we have brochures at any kiosk in any of our parks. You know, unfortunately, Clear Creek Canyon um, just got way bigger than we ever realized. So, so we don't have kiosks at every climbing area, obviously. But if you go to any of our, our established parks, you can find a list of park regulations. It's also on our website. But know them and please adhere to them because they're all there for a reason. And if you ask any ranger, there's a story behind how every one of them got into play. Sure, yeah. um, you know, so so that's one. And then just be respectful of of both the land the wildlife and each other you know I, I hear stories almost weekly of people who are like oh yeah like it was really funny watching my dog chase those geese or the deer and right. you know it's like that that's really not a responsible way to to utilize the land so be respectful of, of 
you know, people, the environment, and everything else. Um, and then communicate. You know, a, a lot of people really view land managers in general as, you know, this, like, bureaucratic governmental organization that has brick walls and you can't get through it. Um, and, you know, I can tell you that I've worked for four different land management agencies and um, all of us want to hear from people, you know, yeah. and we don't want to be that way. And yeah, sometimes we get busy and it's going to take a while to get back to you, but we really do care about what people think. And, you know, again, if, if somebody has something to say, I'd rather them say it and we address it than have them either ignore it or just be, you know, really, um, contentious over it. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you answering these questions for me. Yeah. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, for sure. In talking to Eric about this stuff, it, it became increasingly clear that a lot of other questions that I have and a lot of things about those topics that I'm particularly interested in require the insight of the people who are on the fixed hardware review committee. So things like how do you preserve a local ethic of bolting um, while establishing these rules? Or how do you take into account subjective things like route quality or whatever? Um, and, and that stuff was is, is really directly within the purview of the fixed hardware review committee. That was sort of the whole point in establishing that committee. So the county can say, we're going to get the recommendations from the climbers on these issues because we're not the experts, right? And so it became clear over the course of that conversation that we really needed that half of the dialogue. So anyway, after talking to Eric, we reached out to Dave Montgomery, who sits on the fixed hardware review committee for Jeffco. Um, you know, he's a longtime front range climber, done a lot of route development around this area. All that. Yeah. Uh, side note, Dave was feeding his baby during this interview. So <laughs> if you hear any disgusting sounds, it's either Dave or the baby. <laughs> Damn it. I was going to, I was going to come in there and burn you. <laughs> Did you do it? Yeah, totally. Um, How long has the how long have you been on the fixed hardware committee for the county? Is that since its inception? Yes. Yeah. So 2012, I believe, is when it's or no. More recently, right? Yeah, way more recent. I'm really you see, like I said, when you have a kid, time just more like morphs. You know, like you have no track of time anymore. Yeah, I just renewed. So I've been on for like two years. I think it started in 2015. Okay. Math once again. Yeah. Uh, my name is Dave Montgomery. Uh, I grew up here on the Front Range, and I am a member of the Jefferson County Fixed Hardware Review Committee, as well as the Staunton State Park uh, Fixed Hardware Group as well. What are your thoughts on the necessity of of the uh, the you know just I guess the committee and the the county stepping in in general? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little mixed on this in general. Um, I think it's really good, at least in like a very populated area like the Front Range to slow down development a little bit right like we have a ton of routes out here as it is and we have a finite resource rock and i don't think we had to develop every square inch of you know the canyons around us um at the same time as far as effectiveness goes it sometimes feels like a rubber stamp you know so it's like we get these applications we go through our process and then it gets approved anyway so yeah it slows down things a bit but does it really make a difference i don't know yeah so i'm a little torn on on the the review process and uh it's funny i was talking with my wife about this and i think one of the the biggest things that could help any fixed hardware uh, committee is just more community input mm -hmm. right so it should be more transparent Eldo's pretty good about this, Ace and Eldo, um, the Action Committee for Eldorado. Um, they're pretty good about it. But at the end of the day, when somebody submits an application in Eldo, how many people go and climb it before the application goes in and know where the bolts are going to be? You know, so it's like people will go on their website and be like, oh, this route looks great. And then they put the bolts in and they're like, oh, the bolts were in all the wrong spots. Like you had the opportunity to climb it before and give us, you know, give us your input. And you didn't. Right. So I feel like moving forward for, for any fixed hardware uh, committee anywhere in the country, the best thing you can have is more community input. 
Um, because like our board is seven members, right? And we might all agree on the same things. So it's not necessarily the most um, diverse opinions out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so just more community resource. I mean, it goes both ways, right? Like having more input from the community community would be great, but then it's also like this other layer of bureaucratic processes, you know, that like slows things down even more. And it's like, yeah, if like 100 people go on top or up this route, yeah, this thing's probably going to be awesome. And it's going to get developed in like 10 years, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's totally. just not really going to work out. And it just make, imagine it would make it so much harder to reach consensus if, if everybody's submitting an opinion and that kind of thing. But it's true. I mean, democracy works better when everybody votes, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so would you say that you are like, if you're, if you have these sort of like hot and cold feelings for the review committee, is that more about like the model generally or just you know in these local examples that we're discussing there's like you're seeing room for improvement or Mm. or would you say that you don't feel like there's a need for this i guess at all if that makes sense yeah no i think there's definitely a need for it it just it's different for every location right like the need for a fixed hardware group in eldo is way different than the need for a fixed hardware group in clear creek right like in eldo you're trying to preserve the history of the canyon and the spirit of the climbing in el dorado Right. So it makes a lot more sense to have this kind of more strict process and vetting of new routes. Whereas in Clear Creek, I mean, we're it's a sport climbing destination. I'm not saying like the routes are bad and that, you know, people should go grid bolt everything. But it's like all we're really trying to do is just slow down development and make sure that it's the crags are developed in a sustainable way, which is good. But it's just totally different than what's needed in Eldo. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. And like, there's other places like, um, so, I mean, there's tons of different groups out there. So another, uh, kind of interesting example and something we've been building off of is, um, what they do out in Castle Rock state park in Idaho. So they're just North of the city rocks. And so a few years ago they opened up the park to climbing or to bolting again, right. You'd been able to climb there. Like we all heard about like the comp wall back in the day and, um, some of the things that happened there, but, so when they open things back up, instead of doing like a fixed hardware review process, they vetted some bolters. So essentially you go through this vetting process and you can just go develop anywhere you want on like the crags that they've already approved all around Castle Rock. Hmm. So it's much different. But then there, you know, they had a huge resource that hadn't been developed at all. So they weren't trying to slow down development at all. They were trying to encourage development. So it's just another example of a a type of fixed hardware review, I guess you could say, or fixed hardware management. um, That's just a lot different. So I, I think the idea of having a fixed hardware committee or some kind of fixed hardware management is very good. And I think we're going to see it pop up in more and more, places as climbing gets more popular but it can't it's not a one-size-fits-all at all yeah i mean you make a really good point about eldo having a style of climbing that's unique and needs to be preserved Mm -hmm. whereas clear creek is is great but i don't i don't think of clear creek as having like a a super strong climbing ethic slash style that's like i don't know unique to clear creek and in some sort of like heritage way right um for people who are listening to this show who don't live on the front range you know i was like trying to think of like all the little crags out there it's like think of like your favorite local spot it's like yeah it's good climbing it's sport climbing you love it but you're not gonna like tell your buddy from across the country to come visit you and go climbing there so like that's that's what we're talking about preserving right like it's just like it's your great local spot. It's sport climbing. There's not a whole lot of um, character to a lot of the routes necessarily, but it's fun. It keeps you strong. Yeah. It's like that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Do you guys have a super different approach? Speaking of like this local flavor and character kind of thing, you you do like you mentioned earlier, manage a whole bunch of different places, sure. including the cathedral spires, which I imagine has a very different. And I asked to actually asked Eric this question, and I was curious about how you take into account the different styles and different ethics between Clear Creek and, and North Table, like Golden Cliffs, for example, versus Cynical Pinnacle 
and that sort of thing. Um, and his answer was, was yeah, we, we tried to be really good about that, but that's the fixed hardware committee's job. Like that's why we have them is for their expertise in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so now I get to ask you, is that something that's taken into account or, you know, how do you do that? Early on, we wrote these documents that describe the ethics of areas, right? So Kevin Caps, he's a local guidebook author for Clear Creek and a uh, develop, huge developer there. And so he wrote the ethics of Clear Creek blurb, right? And I wrote the one for the spires. So essentially, when somebody submits an application for those areas, we can give them those that literature so they kind of know what the ethic is but you know it's not up to the committee how you go and bolt your route we can tell you like hey this is the ethic like if you're going to go put up a new route in the cathedral spires you know in the past people have done everything ground up on lead and so you, you know you might want to do it that way so it's got a long history of you know if you did a route outside of the standard ethic there it got chopped well now that Jefferson County Open Space has taken a stronger um, stance on management in the area, you can actually get fined for doing something like that. So if you were to go up and chop a route, that's destruction of public property. Like if it was like approved, right, yeah. So if it was like a new route that got approved in the spires, or even if it was like an old route that was like vetted in, you know, grandfathered in, and, you know, some Joe chopper goes up and just starts chopping, hacking bolts away, he could be prosecuted for that if he was ever found. So I think it's really interesting. Like, you know, the spires, that area was just policed very heavily by the locals. And now there's almost like this like bubble around it, right? Where, yeah, if you go up and chop something, then you get in trouble. But I mean, when the committee looks at applications in that area, you know, hopefully, you know, if somebody like put in an application for this route, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to use like 30 bolts in 20 feet. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, wait a minute. You know, like that might be outside the ethic of the area. Like, let's talk a little more. Yeah. Um, and we've had a couple applications where the applicant didn't seem to have a whole lot of um, maybe knowledge or experience in developing. And we pretty much tried to help them and get them out there with somebody who can help them develop the route right? At least some guidance. And then they just kind of fell off the face of the earth and never responded. What was your introduction to development? Like, did you have a mentor when you were getting into it? Yeah, no, I had a mentor as well. You know, I mean, just like you guys were talking about with um, Phil Powers, how we've been moving away from like that mentorship is there's more and more climbers out there. Um, I, my buddy Darren kind of took me under his wing and he had developed a bunch of stuff in Clear Creek and down the South Platte. And um, I remember early on I got when I first got my drill I was like super excited and uh this was like before like the the new like 36 volt lithium ions were out there which were just like amazing they're super light and powerful and last all day and I had gotten this Bosch annihilator and you know you could get like maybe like six bolts out of a battery so they were pretty bad and clunky and he had like supercharged his so what I mean by supercharge is he got like a car battery <laughs> and and like create this like umbilical cord between his drill and this car battery that was like 30 feet long so he could leave the battery on the ground or he would like fifi it on a bolt below him and so like he was like gonna do that to my drill too because that's just what you did when we didn't have the batteries that were as good right and um he totally screwed up my drill <laughs> so i took it to the bosch store to have him refurbish uh my drill and they're like, you were trying to mod this, weren't you? And they like totally knew what I was doing. The guy was like, yeah, we've had people like catch on fire doing this. I'm like, so, like, <laughs> so uh, yeah, as soon as one of those 36 volt ones came out, I got one. But yeah, but yeah, so I had a mentor and and you don't want somebody going out there who doesn't know what a torque wrench is or doesn't know, I mean, how a mechanical bolt works. That'd be really scary. Yeah. <laughs> but i'm sure it happens you know people just like pounded in and tighten it down like oh i mean that's like what the 70s were right um, so i mean i think that's that's one thing that jeffco has tried to work on too is you know they're not anti-development by any means and they understand that people need help getting into it it's like you're really interested in developing something and you found this great resource like we don't want to deter you from developing it but we also don't want you like 
going through that learning curve on your own. So um, we've tried to do more so rebolting clinics, but in a rebolting clinic, you learn about bolting in the first place. Um, and then, you know, if you're putting up a new route, it's the only real difference is just figuring out where the bolts need to go and making sure you're like ropes, not going to run over an edge or anything. Yeah. So relative to the free for all days, do you feel like there's some benefit to knowing who is out there putting the routes in or having this ability to like come back? And if you have a problem with a route or something like that in the future, you could be like, Oh, well, this is who bolted it. And, or I wonder about, you know, simultaneously, like, do you then have the ability to kind of weed out people who are bolting unsafely? So that's kind of an interesting thing, like that last point, the weeding out people who are bolting unsafely or maybe just bolting undesirable routes. And I'd say we do have that ability. Um, but at the same time, it's like, so say somebody comes and puts in an application and we know that they have a history of developing bad routes. So when they apply, we essentially have to give them a clean slate. Um, if it's like their first application with the county, mm-hmm. right? Um, then after that, well, you kind of start developing their resume for them. And then we can finally put a kibosh on it if we need to. But um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because like, I mean, there's routes that have gone in that I don't think are very good. But what are we going to do? I mean, which is kind of interesting is it's like you think of having a fixed hardware review committee. It's like, oh, we are going to get just quality. But there's nothing written in our bylaws that like the only routes that are going to go in are super quality routes. Some of the other things that have come up that I'm glad we were there. Um, somebody wanted to put a Via Ferrata in Clear Creek. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was kind of uh, interesting. Um, and the county had their own perspective on it. And they probably wouldn't have approved it anyway, but it was nice that we had that communication with them because they could have been like, you know, they came to us and they're like, what do you guys think of this? Like, oh, I don't think we should have a Via Ferrata in Clear Creek. And, and, you know, we just told them flat out no, and, you know, it never went through. Where would that have been? Uh, they were looking up by like Tunnel 2, which is like a really popular area. So once again, you know, where we have like parking problems and there's already like a million climbers out there on any given Saturday. So then we also would have had a Via Ferrata. But there were some other interesting things that came up with it that I won't go into just because I don't want to, like, rat anybody out. But, um, yeah, that would have been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that Jeffco is looking at that – and this is kind of an interesting thing with climbing and fixed hardware in general that we don't necessarily think about, but the slacklining community is another big reason why the fixed hardware committee was started in Jeffco because the slackliners were going out and putting, you know, cool lines across the Canyon. Um, and there, I think there was one guy in particular who just wasn't using very good hardware. And I think that was like the final straw. Like there was just some weird stuff going on. Gotcha. Um, but we do have a slackliner on the committee now too. And so that's been actually really nice. Cause um, like we've had some Tyrolians uh, replaced and he had great input on, I mean, you want to talk to a guy who knows about, you know, tension, uh, strength on anything. Um, yeah, the slackliners know what they're oh, doing. So, so yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Like slacklining is where like mountain biking was back in the 80s, right? Like it's this kind of like fringe thing, especially like highlining. Um, but they also use fixed hardware too. And so um, it's kind of interesting, you know, it's not just climbers who are using fixed hardware. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's also not just climbers who are using the resource too, right? And I think that, you know, one of the points that Eric and I discussed a decent bit was how one of the cases, a lot of the, a lot of the arguments that I hear from climbers against things like these types of review processes are rooted in, in this viewpoint that really only kind of considers the climber user group and oftentimes like doesn't take this large view. And I think that's a good argument in favor of having someone like the county be there who's like in communication with all like the slackliners and yeah. the paragliders and whatever. Um, riders yeah, totally. Cause general recreationalist. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or the kayakers who are going to come down and like clothesline themselves <laughs> on a tire roll. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a real, or, you know, the, speaking of the Via Ferrata thing, I had literally never thought of that, but I mean, I can envision a scenario without a committee where somebody comes in and puts something that just goes like all the way across mission wall and cuts every route in half. Totally. And it's just like, Oh my God. 
you know, got to yeah. not have that. Yeah, so there's a success of the hardware committee right there. So we don't have a Via Ferrata. Now, somebody else is going to be listening to this and be like, <laughs> I really wanted that Via Ferrata, <laughs> you know? Well, can't please all the people. Yeah, like yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> no, that's so, that's so funny. The Slackline community, the Via Ferrata thing is like. Yeah, it's, it's just things you wouldn't have thought about being associated with fixed hardware, but. No doubt. Yeah, 100% are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting, too, like learning about um, like search and rescue as far as fixed hardware goes, because like so there was a Tyrolean that was recently replaced in the canyon. And in the past, I mean, one of the reasons they want to replace it was because like the fire department wouldn't use it. It wasn't rated high enough for them. I don't know what they needed. But so part of the reason they wanted to replace it was so the fire department could use it. You know, it's just like things you just wouldn't think about. Yeah. Had you not. Totally. Yeah. Once again, like having Big Brother up there pulling everything together to make sure like, hey, let's make sure the fire department can use the things the climbers are using. Yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense. Or, um, yeah. I mean, speaking of, of the, the rescue stuff, this is this example that I'm about to um, give is, is in Clear Creek County. And so it's a little bit outside of your purview. But um, I know that at Cat's Lab, they're now in Clear Creek, they're now putting in those removable bolts yep. for the search and rescue team is yep. because they're going to Cat's Lab so often yep. for rescues now yep. that they are establishing these like, you know, non-permanent Tyrolians essentially to, you know, shuttle people across in a litter. And, um, and that's a really good example of a situation where the people who are making that decision for the search and rescue mm-hmm. are really just thinking about it from the point of like search and rescue efficacy, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And they're doing it for us for no money on their own time. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. But you can definitely imagine a scenario, a hypothetical one where they don't have any sense of like this minimalizing the bolts ethic that climbers often have. And so yeah. they're probably going to, or at some point you imagine a group stepping on toes, like, totally without meaning to sure. and then also not understanding why everyone's mad at them um well that's so. an interesting example that you brought up because so clear creek county doesn't have an fhrc which is really confusing because we've been talking about clear creek a lot but we've been talking about like the jefferson county side of the canyon um but so when search and rescue put in those holes for the removable bolts you know they didn't talk to any climbers right like none of those people on that 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 search and rescue group are climbers so they just went out and they like just drilled a bunch of holes in like the middle of cat slab where like they thought would be the best spot for a tyrolean like with no regard to like the routes nearby or anything so like that would have been another opportunity like if there was a fixed hardware uh, committee there or even just like a core group of climbers who had um clear creek county's ear that maybe some conversations could have been had to make sure that it's like not destroying her out. I think they got away with it okay, but like it could have gone really bad, right? Totally. Like they could have just made like Swiss cheese out of like this like crazy slab move. And like now everybody's like monoing through it, you know? Like <laughs> for sure. And like unbeknownst to them, like destroyed some classic route. Totally. Right. And um yeah. yeah, and again I'm not like I don't mean to bring that example up to no, cri- to totally. criticize them in no, any no, way. Not but, at all. but that's like that is the perfect example of two different user groups with different needs yep. just talking right past right. each other. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think like kind of the moral of all this is like fixed hardware groups aren't necessarily going to be the best thing in every place, but having a direct line of communication with the land manager is always going to be good, right? Because you can avoid these problems that might come up later in life, yeah. later in life, later in I would say that. Later whenever. Yeah, later whenever. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, what, what was some, what's something that you, if you had just total control, what would you maybe tweak about the Jeffco process that you think would improve the outcome? I think for me, it would be important to permit based on quality. Because like I said before, we have a finite amount of rock. Um, a lot of people might disagree with me though, cause you know, like, Oh, another one star five, six goes in and like, you know, next weekend there's like 200 people on it, you know? So like nice. people might be like, you know, we don't really care about quality. We need quantity. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask there. But for me, quality is like the number one thing, right? Like if there's going to be new routes going in, I think they should be high quality. They should be developed with good quality hardware, which is something we ask, right? We have really high expectations of hardware. Um, but yeah, I think just making sure that it's a 100% quality, 
quality route would be kind of where I would be at. So if you, if you on the committee, you're a climber, obviously. And so you sort of liaise between the County and the climbing community Uh and you, I guess, speak to the County on behalf of the rest of the bus climbers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so do you ever feel first, first half of this question, do you feel like County has been good to work with on this? Like, do you, have they been good partners for, for the climbers? But then second half of the question is, have you gotten pushback from the climbing community? Like, do you feel like you're kind of caught between these two, you know, I guess, uh, two poles? I mean, I feel like the county has been awesome to work with. I mean, they are super responsive. And the fact that they show up to all of our meetings is really helpful because um, it just kind of keeps us all in the loop, right? Where I've been on other boards where nobody from the organization even shows up. And like the climbing committee is really just a third party committee, Right. So I think having that direct contact with them is really helpful. Um, on the other side, though, I mean, I haven't really heard any feedback from the climbing community community about this. Right. Um, which I thought was really interesting because like when Jeffco first wanted to do a fixed hardware committee, like everybody was like up in arms, you know, it was like every meeting they had, there was like a hundred people there with like, you know, picket signs. Yeah. Pitch, <laughs> yeah. Pitchforks and picket signs and, and uh like as soon as like the the new management plan went in like it was just like crickets like nobody said anything so it was really it's been really interesting i haven't really heard anything back occasionally somebody will be like oh you can't replace bolts in the you know in the community anymore i'm like well that's not true yeah um and they're actually really good about that but well yeah so once again more community yeah yeah, more, (laughs) more engagement yeah yeah um, is there anything like that the climbers in the community maybe should know, but you find that they often don't, or do you think that people maybe have a accurate impression of, of what goes on? I mean, you mentioned earlier people saying, well, now I can't replace any bolts, which is sort of inaccurate and stuff. I mean, is that, is there widespread misinformation or do you feel like people have a good handle on it? feel like most people have a pretty good handle on it. I think early on, at least with, I mean, with any new group, right, there's going to be a lot of questions. Um, but Jeffco has been working really hard on getting like a new website developed just for climbing. Um, so that's where like all this information is going to live. Yeah. And so you should be able to find all that information, but I think, you know, at the very beginning of this committee, that information wasn't out there. So that's where the, there was a lot of misconceptions. I'm like, Oh, well you can't replace bolts in clear Creek anymore. <laughs> it's like, Oh, well you totally can. You just have to call Eric. Right. And he's going to say, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also kind of came about around the same time that they were uh, instituting the Raptor closures and so forth. And so I wonder if there's like some muddying around, well, are, are these part of the same effort or, you know, are they totally different planks in this, you know, thing that's being rolled out just coincidentally around the same time. And I wonder, anyway, they're not related, but I wonder if they're, uh, if they lead to confusion of, you know, where there's a whole bunch of change all being enacted kind of at once. When we first started, yeah, when they, they put out like all those new Raptor closures and stuff, I think it all seemed pretty heavy handed mm-hmm. initially. Um, but I mean, we don't really have any input on the Raptor closures. The only thing I can say um, about Raptor closures in general is um, the approach a lot of land managers take is it's really easy to just do a blanket closure, right? Oh, there's one bird in this quarter mile radius, right? So they just close everything in that radius. And that's like the easy way to manage it. And that's like the cover my ass strategy. Because, I mean, they have certain federal regulations they have to uphold to, right? Like they don't want the feds coming after them either. Um, And so a lot of people will complain about this blanketed strategy. But at the end of the day, the best way for us to get cliffs open again is for more climbers to volunteer to go help monitor these birds. Like Jeffco has a raptor monitoring program. You can go, I think it's like two classes you take and they give you like a little notebook. And I think you can take a, you you go to Jeffco and you get a scope. I think you even get a free t-shirt out of it. Yeah, totally. Um, But you go and you go and monitor the birds. And so like the biggest thing for them as far as uh, monitoring goes is it's really expensive for them to do, right? Like they have to send out one of their professional resource managers or not managers, but one of their, you know, somebody from their resource management team 
to go out and monitor these birds and they have to be out there for like you know six or seven hours you know it's like a 50 minute drive from from their headquarters and it's just not it doesn't make sense for them right so like that's why they do the blanketed closure it's just like they can't monitor that resource in a way that's going to be effective right or especially on a shoestring budget right yeah totally. it's like how in vitavu if atv users are using all the dirt 707 roads mm -hmm. in the back and just chewing them up in the spring when they're muddy yeah. they're like well cost this much to fix them cost zero dollars to close them yeah. so now they're closed yeah. and uh yeah i mean that's maybe why we can't have nice things totally yeah, yeah. so i mean that's that's one thing i've learned more from being on this committee is just kind of the inner turmoils of the organization right like just operating with the budget that you have and and you know we're not the only user group you know at the end of the day and so like yeah sure we get mad about cliffs being closed for raptors one you know raptors are cool they yeah. should have a place to nest and two if you really care about it you know you should just volunteer and uh you know take some time out of your weekend and go up and help them monitor so we can get those cliffs opened again yeah more power to you if you can do that yeah for yeah. sure i can't point <laughs> so I don't complain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and you might get a T-shirt. Um, anything on the outro? Um, subscribe, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs>